0: All right, well, good morning once again, Randall Church. It's nice to be up here and uh, be able to share the word of the Lord today with you. And again, just blessed to be able to worship and uh, be together this morning. I want to take a moment before we begin, just have another word of prayer as we start. And we want to pray again for the folks down in Texas and uh, just ask that God would just be with them during this time. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have together this morning to just gather and fellowship together and worship you. Lord, I pray that as as I speak this morning that, Lord, that you would increase and I would decrease, that in this place today, Lord, you would be exalted. God, I pray for an awakening of faith in in people's lives today, that they would just be drawn closer to you and that they'd grow in the knowledge and love of you, God. Lord, in this morning, we do again, we just lift up to you the folks in Texas, all throughout that part of our country, Lord, that you would be with them. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would comfort those who need comfort this morning. Lord, I pray for the churches that are in the area, that you would... Uh, mobilize them and, uh, and that you would meet the needs that are going to be there in the next few days, Lord God. We give you all the praise and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if I haven't got a chance to formally meet you, uh, I'm Mario. I'm the youth pastor and the worship pastor here at Randall Church. And uh, this is my third message that uh, uh, in the last year that, we've been, that I've been here at the church. So it's a blessing to be able to come up and to share uh, what God has put on my heart. And particularly as we move into the second part of our DNA series that we have been discussing uh, last week, today, and next week, Pastor Brian will speak. I'm excited about the second part of the DNA series and talking about the church, because that's exactly what the second aspect of our DNA is, up, in, and out. This morning, I get a chance to talk about the in portion of that aspect of our DNA. Now, I've been living in Buffalo for a little over a year now. Um, I, under, I realized as I've, this morning even as I've talked with some folks that some people don't know that I'm from California and that I lived in Brooklyn. You're not sure if, what part of the country I'm from, right? And uh, I'm from California. I've lived in Buffalo for one year. I've lived in Brooklyn for three years previously, but, I've, you know, like I said, we've been traveling. But, you know, when, we got, when, I, got to, when I got to Buffalo, um, one of the things I enjoyed doing is I enjoyed going to thrift stores. Any, any thrift store shoppers here? Okay, all right. We can, we can confess that. We're among brothers and sisters, right? Well, I went to the Buffalo City Mission. I must not have been here a month, maybe two months. And I was in the Buffalo City Mission and um, thrift, thrift shop. And, and I, was, I was kind of overwhelmed. I'm like, this is like the best thrift store I've been to in all of western New York. You know, it's had a lot of stuff in it. And I started to check out. I had bought some Christian CDs that I'd found in the, in the CD bin, if you know what those are. And, uh, and as I was... As I was Checking out, uh, there was an individual there that um, noticed that I was buying the Christian CDs and music, and, and so he, we got to talking a little bit, and he, we got to what church do you go to?" and I said well i 'm the youth pastor at Randall Church, and, um, and I do the worship and he 's like, "Oh, Randall Church, I used to go to Randall Church when I was a little kid, and I used to go and be a part of the children 's program there and, and as a matter of fact that was the first place that I heard the gospel presented was when I was a little kid at Randall Church. And uh, I said, oh, that's, that's awesome, that's awesome. And I assumed in my mind that he was, um, he was a believer, but I wasn't sure. So I kind of pressed in a little bit more and I asked him, I said, okay, so like, what is it you do now? And he said, well, now I'm a pastor myself here in, in Buffalo. And he said, and you know what happened is that um, I, I came to know the Lord at Randall Church as a little kid, but I walked away from the Lord. But then eventually, when in my 20s, the Lord got a hold of me again, and now I've been in full-time ministry for, I guess, 20 years or whatever, whatever time frame it's been. And I, I thought to myself at the time, that's a pretty cool story that this guy, and he actually named somebody specific who I won't mention um, that's still a member of our fellowship that led him to the Lord. And I thought that was the coolest thing because this guy, you know, this, his, his grace story where he came to know the Lord, this was... 40 years ago, 30, 40 years ago, he came to know the Lord. And he still remembers the impact that the ministries that Randall Church had on his life. And as a newcomer coming to Randall and as a newcomer to Buffalo, I was like, that's pretty cool. That's my church. I'm like, you know, that's my church that I belong to. You know, <laughs> you know that's my, I worship there, you know. And, um, but, you know, that's just, in this community, our church is known as Randall Church, right? People know our, our, our church. They know that this is a place where you can come and worship the Lord. There's other church in the area that they know the same thing. But just for me coming as a newcomer, I was excited to see that our church throughout, all, throughout the history of this community has had an impact in people's lives. And here it was this pastor that was serving the Lord. Now, as we talk about the DNA of a church, that's really at the heart of what we're talking about this morning. What is it that identifies us? You know, we can talk about the building, which a be- we're in a beautiful building with the, with the organ. We're, you know, we're we're in this great place. But what really identifies us as a church? Is it the building or is it something deeper? And I pray that this morning as we open up God's word that we would look at what really identifies us in a a deeper level than just the building, than just the people that are here. There's got to be something more to it. And that's why I love being able to share this morning the second aspect of our DNA, the inward portion of it. Now, if you've got a bulletin with you and you've got the notes, everybody pull out that bulletin and hold the notes up. Okay. You will notice that the top two portions of that, that note, the notes there, have already been filled in for you. Right? We're not trying to hide anything. It's not a big surprise about our mission as a church. It's not a big surprise about the up, the in and out. So. This was in last week's notes and it's in this week's notes also because we want to emphasize that one more time. That we are a church that's on mission to, to glorify God and we believe the way we do that is by upward, inward, and outward. So this morning as we enter the text, I invite you to take some notes there at the bottom portion and let's just jump right into God's word, all right? We're going to be in 1 John chapter 1 this morning. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there to 1 John If you're going to be using a pew Bible in front of you, it's page 1,278. So I'll give you a second to pull that up. 1 John chapter 1. The message this morning, nurture hope in the church. Nurturing hope in the church. Let's see what John has to say about the church. He says in 1 John chapter one, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. As John begins his epistle here, he actually refers to the the idea and the concept of fellowship amongst believers. And he relates it to the relationship that we have with the Father and with the Son. Did you see what he said here at the end of the end of verse 3? He says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with who? The Father and the Son. Do me a favor and jump down to 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. Listen to what he says here. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have Fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. In the first seven verses of John chapter, 1 John, the author d- repeats the same concept uh, four times. He talks about fellowship, fellowship with one another, and fellowship with the son. He connects the fellowship we have as believers to the relationship that the father has with the son. And in fact, our fellowship is with both of those. If you're filling in your blank this morning, your first bullet is just that. Our hope is rooted in our fellowship with the Father and the Son. Once again, hope is rooted in our fellowship with the Father and with the Son. It's very important for John here as he's he's speaking, as he's writing, to make sure that his readers connect the dots. That it doesn't matter, right? When we talk about having an identity as a church... If we're not plugged in, if we're not connected to the source of life, God the Father and His Son through the Holy Spirit, if we're not plugged in, there's no identity whatsoever. And it's a very powerful thing because think about it, to be plugged into the Father, to be plugged in to the Lord Jesus Christ and know that you are in fellowship with Him and that you are living your life to glorify Him. You know, 1 John, as a letter... Uh, goes along with 2nd and 3rd John. And one of the uh, commentators that I read this week made a comment about this particular, these three epistles. And the comment basically is that the books, the letters of 1st John are really letters written to the church. You know, many of us have heard of the Roman road, right? We've heard of the Roman road before, where we can go through Romans and, and display how the gospel is presented. You may have read the book, The Gospel of John, where John says at, at the end of the book, these things are written that you may know the, um, Jesus Christ, and you may have eternal life. So John is very explicit in those, those verses that I wrote the gospel of John to tell you about Jesus. In 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, John is, is very clear. I'm addressing the people of God. I'm addressing the church. I'm speaking to people who are believers, and I want you to understand what I'm saying. In fact, First John is kind of like a general letter. It kind of gives us some, some just general things about our position in Christ. Second and Third John really get more specific. They get more specific into, a, um, into what's happening in particular churches. So if you've never read Second uh, or Third John or First John, I encourage you to look at it and to read it in light of that. But notice what John does here. Notice what he says here in the beginning. He says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. In which we have seen. John speaks of our connection to God the Father and Jesus Christ by relating it into the fact that Jesus is a real person, that Jesus is the one who we should look to. He says in this beginning verses of 1 John, he says that what we have seen, he says it four times. Do me a favor, look at your neighbor. And look, go ahead, look at your neighbor. Turn your head, look at your neighbor. Do you see your neighbor there sitting next to you? Some of you aren't looking at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor. Do you, do you, do you see someone sitting next to you? Yes. You, okay. All right. That which we have heard. Do me a favor. Look at your neighbor. Say hello. Okay. Did you hear? Right? We, we, you heard them say hello, right? Okay. He says, that which we have touched. Now, be careful here. Do a favor. Reach over. <laughs> reach over to your neighbor and give them a little pinch are they awake this morning okay all right did you feel that pinch okay i'm sure if we were in a metaphysics class or something right it would this is all just an illusion it's all just molecules and right and atoms no we're we're really looking at each other this morning you're really hearing my voice right you know like we're looking at each other Some of us are like, hmm, am I going to go to John and Mary's for lunch? Like, what am I, you know what I mean? You're like, you're really thinking these things. These aren't like this, we're not living in some metaphysical world, right? Like, this is what John, this is what John is getting across. He's like, we really saw Jesus. We really saw this guy walking around and we really saw him die on the cross. We really seen him, uh, well, we didn't see him because he rose from the dead. But we know he rose from the dead. And this is an important aspect when we think about, the church this morning. And we'll get to that in a second, why that's important. One of the reasons why John has to argue, um, many people believe in the fact that Jesus is a real person, that you know, we're not talking about make-believe stuff here, is because at that time, during the, um, in the culture at that time, there were these competing thoughts that if something is, uh, if something is of the flesh, then it must be evil. So you know, it has to be of the spirit, and therefore it's good. So if Jesus came in the flesh, then that must mean there's some evilness or there's some, something going on metaphysically in all the world. John, John cuts right through all that and he says, listen, we saw Jesus, we heard him, we touched him. And we know he's real. And in fact, he's so real that he's living in each of our lives. There's no different story here uh, from some of the other apostles. Peter, if you have a Bible, you can look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. I'll read to you what it says there or you can just write that down. Second Peter chapter one, verse 16 through 18. Listen to what Peter says. We did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son in whom I love with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Second Peter chapter 1, 16 through 18. Peter tells the story of being on the mountain of transfiguration and seeing Jesus transformed in all his glory. And he uses that same language. We heard the voice. We, we saw the glory. Paul even in 1 Corinthians, you can write this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 beginning in verse 12. You know, Paul goes into, goes into detail about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, if Jesus did not resurrect from the dead, then Christians are the, are, are the most pitied people in the whole wide world. Why? Because we believe in something that didn't really happen. So if Paul is arguing that the resurrection is real, then that must mean the person who was resurrected is real also. Amen? Amen. So why is that important for us today as a church? Why, why is this important? Well, in our day and age, there seems to be endless amount of speculation and controversy. And, you know, who is the authentic Jesus is the language we use. You know, even, even in conspiracy theories, 9-11 and Sandy Hook, there's all these conspiracies that are going around. As a matter of fact, I believe this weekend, tonight even, on CNN, there's a, there's a, a drama, a document on Princess Diana. She died, what, 20 years ago or something. So they're doing a big thing. And a big portion of the episode is the the conspiracies behind her death. You know, we just don't take things for face value anymore in our culture. We're skeptical about a lot of things. The New Testament writers, they don't mince words here. Jesus was a real person. He was a real living being that walked the earth. And there's no doubt in our mind that that's what they believed. Now, I'm Hispanic, okay, like I said, I'm from California. And if you're Hispanic, then you are familiar with, you know, the things, the myths and the things like the chupacabra, right, and all those kind of things. Or if you're from the, if you're from the Southwest, you may know who, what, a, what a jackalope is. You know, like, you know, then we got Bigfoot, right? We have all these things that nobody's ever actually seen. Jesus, does Jesus fall into that category? No, not according to the authors of the New Testament. Why is this important today? Because Jesus, as a real person, established a real church. He established a real body of believers that we call the church. Think about that for a moment. Jesus, a real person, established a real body of believers that we call the church. This is why it's important today because we are gathered here this morning not worshiping that simply the idea of Jesus, we're not here today because, because Jesus said some great things and we should follow his teachings because he was a great teacher. No, to follow Jesus is to follow a living being and to be in community with other believers because that's what Jesus established here on this earth, you and me as the body of Christ. What's the common bond of fellowship that we share this morning? Well... You don't have to turn there, but I'll just touch on a couple things this morning. In Ephesians chapter 3, you can write that down, Paul talks about the church. He talks about the mystery of the church. That through all the ages, God has spoken of of eventually a people that would seek after him and that would be his own. Even in the Old Testament, God always referred to words such as the remnant, or he would refer to a group of individuals that he would bring forth out of the nations. And in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul says, I have been, the mystery of of the church has been revealed to me that God has taken every person from every tribe and tongue, every language, and put them together into a physical space called the church. I mean, if you take a look around right now, we we are a diverse group of individuals. Some of us, most of us um, have different backgrounds. We're from different parts of the country. We may speak different languages. We may look different. We may speak different. I probably have a California accent that you may not understand. I don't know. We all have something unique about us. And the Bible says, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, that that's the great mystery of the church, that God would draw all people from everywhere and make them part of the body of Christ. The physical makeup of the church is such that not one particular group of people on this planet can claim the exclusive rights to the keys to the kingdom. Did you hear what I said? There's not one group of people on this planet that says, that can say that I own the keys to the kingdom. No, it's the body of believers, no matter what race, no matter what um, background you may be from. Romans chapter 4 says that membership into this organization, membership into the body of Christ is based on one thing, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as Abraham had faith and believed God, so today to be a member of the family of God, one needs to have faith in Jesus Christ. Many of us in here may have served in the military. Um, You know, we're familiar with being a part of a group, being identified with a group. And I, I can think of the, the thing that identifies you. You know, if you, were to, if you were to talk, I can only speak for myself as a, as a former Marine. I, I can think of the yellow footprints. You know, when you, when you talk to another Marine or anybody in the military, and you talk about the yellow footprints, you know exactly what we're talking about. How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. Right? Okay. Because you, you you're not in that club. You have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay? So when you get to basic training, when you get to boot camp, in the Marine Corps, they have a, they have a set of footprints, um, shoe prints painted on the ground. And when you get off that bus, the first thing you're supposed to do is the drill instructor screams and yells at you and he tells you get on the yellow footprint. So your, your initiation into the Marine Corps is standing on these yellow footprints, okay? That's your initiation into the Marine Corps and of course after that you get yelled at and everything else, right? But Every Marine knows about those yellow footprints. That's the day you'll never forget, the day you stepped on those yellow footprints. I don't know what it is for the other branches of the service. I can't speak to them. But for the Marine Corps, it's the yellow footprints. There's this mythology. There's this sacredness of the yellow footprints. And you just know that that's the shared experience. You know, what's the shared experience for us as a church? What's the shared experience that we have as a church? Again, it's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you may be here today and you may have been a regular attender of the church, but if you don't have that moment where you step across the line of faith and you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's like those yellow footprints. You'll never understand that experience until you've, you've actually been there and done that. So having a shared experience and being a part of this body that we call the church. Now, so far we've been discussing the physical aspects of our fellowship, right? Jesus Christ establishing an actual church. But what about the spiritual nature of the church? Well, if you've got your bulletin again, point number two. Hope matures in our relationship with other believers. Hope matures in our relationship with other believers. Right, if our, if our hope is rooted in the fellowship with the Father and the Son, it's that hope that's going to mature in our relationship with other believers. What does the New Testament say about the relationship that exists between brothers and sisters in the Lord? Romans chapter 12. If you have your Bible, let's turn there. Romans chapter 12. We won't spend too much time here because I think this is uh, this is, uh, we, could, we could spend all day here in Romans, and we're going to take a look at 1 Corinthians. But suffice it to say that um, Romans chapter 12 gives us a little insight into the, the relationship that we share with each other as brothers and sisters in the Lord. Romans chapter 12. Starting at verse 3, Paul says, For by the grace of Given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us, If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Look what he says in verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. We won't spend too much time here, but did you catch what what Paul says here? Each one of us, and I I don't think this this is new to anybody here, but I think it's good that we are reminded of this. We've all been given gifts and talents by the Lord. And in the church setting, as the physical body of Christ, we are to use those gifts for the building up of each other, being devoted to one another. If we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13, like I said, we won't look at the whole text here, but Paul says something very similar throughout chapter 12 and 13 of 1 Corinthians. Throughout this text, and even into chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, he gives us, again, some of those spiritual gifts that, um, that, that are in the church. All right, but I want us to focus in on chapter 12, verse 7. He says, now, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So again, this idea that our spiritual gifts, our talents, our abilities, God has given us what, for what reason? So that we can encourage one another and that we can be built up for the common good. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 25 and 26. Paul writes, So that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So again, we have this concept and the idea here that we are united, not just uh, physically as people who believe in God, but spiritually as we pour out our life into, the, into other people. Well, why is this important to us? As we think about, as we think about hope maturing, Uh, Our hope matures in our relationship with other believers. How is this important? Well, let's turn to Ephesians. And this is where we'll get into the meat of what Paul is trying to get across here. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter chapter 4. Let's talk about maturity for a second as believers. If we all have gifts, if we all are to use those gifts inward in the church... Why and how does this happen? What does maturity look like? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. So Christ gave himself... Excuse me. So Christ Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Let me read that portion one more time. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Isn't it funny how how Paul here talks about being united with God till we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God isn't that what John said in his epistle right there's a relationship that exists between believers and the Father and the Son and we are part of that so there's this again this sense of unity as believers but we are united Paul says in Ephesians so that we may mature as believers we just got a puppy a couple weeks ago I may have even told the story to a few of you I don't know the puppy is driving me crazy, okay? If you have a puppy or you've had one, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like the puppy doesn't have ears to hear me when I tell it to stop, sit, you know, and do all these things. It's just a puppy, right? I'm expecting this puppy to be like, I need, I need the, the three-year-old puppy to happen right now. You know what I mean? Okay, I need the, it's just a, just a puppy that's immature. It's an immature puppy. <laughs> is that even a thing? I don't know. It's just a puppy that doesn't listen. He doesn't listen. And, um, you know, I, I, and as I was throwing, going through this text and thinking about maturity, that's the thing that kept coming to my mind is, you know, if you've got pets, you know, and if you've got children, you know exactly what I'm saying, right? They just, you know, I need you to be 18 so you can get it, you know what I mean? <laughs> Right? But there's a sense that you grow. You grow. We grow as individuals. We don't, we're not just stuck in, uh, you know, we're not just stuck in, in our childhood life. We have to grow. We get taller. We you know, we get bigger. You know, that's what maturity is like. Now, think about that in terms of the church, right? We're not, we, we can't be babes in Jesus anymore. We have to grow in our faith. We have to, we have to pursue righteousness. We have to pursue things that will help us to grow closer to the Lord. And God has brought each one of us together so that we can do that amongst each other. That's part of that inward DNA that we're talking about is using your gifts and talents to help each other mature in the faith. You know, the Father and the Son are united. We should be united as well. You know, what does maturity look like? You know, one of the things here at Randall that we have, um, that, that we, we consider part of our inward um, aspect is our care corridors. Now our care corridors are designed so that you can be a part of a community in, your, in a geographical area where you're at. And that community can, can assist you and help you in spiritual needs or physical needs or whatever it might be. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if everybody in here has been plugged into a care corridor. But I encourage you, if you haven't, get plugged into a care corridor. There's some care corridors that are doing great things. They're, um, they're helping out each other. Like You know, people are moving, so they've got people to help them move. They've got spiritual needs. They've got physical needs like food to help them bring food. You know, these care corridors, these groups in the care corridors are designed for that specific purpose. You know, and, and I'll be honest with you, uh, if you're not getting plugged into a care corridor, you can't come back and say, well, the church doesn't care for me. We just don't know what your needs are. We would like to know what your needs are. So get plugged in with the care corridor so we can know what your needs are and we can help you grow in the Lord and we can, we can be the church to each other. That's what maturity looks like. Being plugged into a group, meeting the needs of others. I'm going to read to you straight from from our DNA about our care corridors. Can I do that for a minute? I'm not going to, this is not my saying. This is what is in our DNA And our, if you've gone to the DNA classes, this is exactly what it says about the care corridors, right? "The The elder's primary responsibility is shepherding people in their care corridor. Care corridors are our way of caring and connecting people at Randall Church, By organizing people around geographically based areas. Each pastor and elder takes responsibility for a corridor providing leadership and spiritual care for that group. That's taking care of each other. And I know some of you are involved in care corridors, but some of you may not be. Get plugged into a care corridor. If you're not plugged in, you're not going to grow in your faith. You're not going to be able to share the experience with other people. What else does maturity look like? Well, maturity according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, is being different from the world. Listen to what Paul says in chapter 4, verse 17. He says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. You know what's funny about this verse when Paul says that you should no longer live as a Gentile? He's speaking to Gentiles. So Paul is quite literally saying to them, you've passed over from that group of people, the Gentiles, who had nothing to do with God. You are now part of the family of God. Don't live any longer like the Gentiles. Don't live like you used to live. There should be a marked difference. It's ironic that he tells Gentiles don't to live like, like Gentiles. You know, it's, it's like, wait, what happened? He's telling them there should be a difference in your life. There should be a marked difference in your life. And so what does maturity look like? It's, it looks like a church that is different from the world. It looks like people who are different from the world. Living, acting, talking, watching things, saying things, listening to things that are different from what the world says we should listen to I mean you know I'm guilty of it spending you know you know I'm very tired and then I spend two hours on Facebook just scrolling right like like that's not gonna help me in my spiritual growth you know what I mean like but we just get sucked into things and that's how it happens and some of us maybe fall into other sins that are worse than others but we need to be different from the world Paul says be different you know one of the books that I'm reading, and, and Pastor Milo kind of laughed at me the other day because I've been reading this book for about six months now. It's just one of those. I haven't, I haven't made it all the way through. I'm finally on the last chapter. Um, and actually, Pastor Milo recommended it to me, and I'll recommend it to you because it's a great book. A book called The Trellis and the Vine. And in this book, the author basically says, you know, we have a lot of structure in our church. We have a lot of structure, things that we could be a part of. Now where we need to focus on as, as a church is, is actually growing the vine. We've grown the trellis. We've built the trellis. Now let's grow the vine. And we're the vine, right? Building each other up. And one of the chapters in the book is titled this. And I thought this was kind of funny. Why Sunday sermons are necessary but not sufficient. I was like, oh, okay. This is going to get some people in trouble, right? Why Sunday sermons are necessary but not sufficient. And in this book, the author speaks, talks about uh, a pastor from the 17th century named Richard Baxter. And Richard Baxter's concern was for personal ministry of the people in his church rather than, um, rather than just um, taking that half hour and preaching on Sunday morning. He knew that the real heart of ministry was getting to know people and getting in a relationship with them and helping them to grow individually. That's what maturity looks like. If you're just coming to a Sunday morning sermon and that's as far as your faith goes... You're missing out on a lot of things. You're missing out in maturing in the faith and being a part of what God is doing. Finally, what does maturity look like? Let's turn back to 1 John as we begin to wrap things up here. What does maturity look like? If we really believe that hope matures in our relationship with other believers, what does maturity look like? 1 John chapter 3, I'm sorry, First John chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. What does maturity look like? It's in finding joy in the church. Think about that for one second this morning. Is there joy in your church experience? Maybe you've come from a church background where there hasn't there wasn't joy. The apostle John here says that our fellowship with the Son, with the Father, and with each other, that brought him joy. That brought him joy. John says that our joy is made complete when we consider ourselves in light of our relationship with Jesus and other believers. When we talk about the DNA of a church, when we talk about who we are and what people identify us as or how they identify us, what will they say about us as a church, as a people? Will they say, well, that's a nice building? Or will they say things that speak of our spiritual care for one another, the joy that we share with each other. How will they identify us? What will they look at us and say that's what that church is made of? That's that church's DNA. What will they say? So here's some things to think about as Brian comes up and we begin to close our service. Here is a couple things to think about this morning. Where is your identity in Christ? Where is your identity in Christ? Have you found your place in God's grace story? You see, this morning I've been talking to us as believers, for people that are part of the faith community, the church. But there may be a few here today who have never crossed that line and entered the faith community. Can I tell you something this morning? God loves you. And we're gathered here this morning because we wholeheartedly believe That Jesus was a real person, that he really walked the earth, that he really died on a cross for our sins, and that he really rose again to give us the hope of eternal life. It's not not a myth that we believe, it's not a great idea, but we really believe that this morning. I pray we really believe that. But maybe you're at a point in your life where you say, you know what, I've never come to that point in my life where I say I believe that. Or where I acknowledge I believe that. This morning, that's how you enter the faith community. That's how you find your identity in Jesus Christ. Second question. Are you being used by God to your full potential within the church? Maybe you felt an unction from the Lord to get involved in a ministry. Or to get involved in some aspect of church life. Maybe God is calling you to start a home fellowship, a community group at your home, or a community group in your corridor. Or maybe God is calling you to do something else within the church so that we can mature as believers. What's prevented you from doing that? Why aren't you doing that? I'm going to tell you, you're going to find great joy as you begin to serve the Lord and as you begin to serve others. And third, let me ask you this question. Is there joy in your life when you think about the church? And why not? If there isn't joy in your life when you think about the church, why not? Maybe there's been um, in your life, in your experience in the church, maybe here in this church. I mean, can we be honest with each other? Maybe you've had disagreements with somebody in this church or maybe a falling out. Today's the day God wants you to set things straight. God wants you to have his heart towards other people in the church. And maybe today is a day where you need to do that in order to get that joy back. Or maybe you've been one who has taken the joy from others. Today you need to go and you need to ask for forgiveness and you need to restore that relationship that you have with that person. As Brian begins to play this morning, let's take a moment and pray. And if God is speaking to your heart this morning, then I pray that you would act upon what God is saying to you and what he's revealed to you in his word this morning. I pray that as we walk out of these doors in a minute, that we would walk out of here different people with a different purpose in our life than we may have had when we came in here. That we don't identify with this building, but we identify with Jesus Christ, the Lord of our life, the Lord of this church. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. God, you've called each one of us as people, As humans living on this earth in reality, we're not talking metaphysical, we're not talking about anything. We're talking about reality right now, Lord God. You've called each one of us to be in a relationship with you. You even said that relationship has to go so far that you would follow me. Jesus said, Follow me. Listen to what I say, do what I did, say what I said, love like I loved. And so this morning, God, we are here, and there may be somebody in this place that has never come to a moment of faith in their life. Would you move in their hearts today, would you move in their life right now in this moment? God? With every eye closed and every head bowed, if that's you this morning, And you're saying, Mario, I need to step across the line of faith. I need to put my faith in Jesus Christ. And I need to become part of the community of faith. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose from the dead. I want to live my life for that. If that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something we don't do very often here. But I'm going to ask you just to simply raise your hand so we can pray for you and rejoice in what God might be doing in your life. Is there anybody here this morning? that feels that way. God bless you. Is there anybody else this morning that is ready to step across the line of faith and become a part of the body of Christ? Lord, thank you for this moment, for allowing us to be a part of your faith community, God. Lord, I pray as we sing this next song that you would move in our hearts, that before we leave this place, We would set our hearts right with you, with other believers, and that you would be blessed in everything we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you leave today, I'm going to be standing in the back. If there's a decision you made today or you just want me to pray for you or you want one of our pastors to pray for you, I'll be standing in the back. I invite you to speak to me this morning. Be blessed. God bless you.